0: You're listening to CLNS Media, powered by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Red Sox Beat Podcast, presented by CLNS Media. That's your leading online video and audio provider for Major League Baseball and the Boston Red Sox. I'm the host of the show, Chris Gatillo from Mass Live. I cover the Red Sox for MassLive.com and host this show on a weekly basis. We've been actually off on a hiatus for the last couple weeks just because end of the season, things get a little bit crazy, uh, traveling to Tampa, coming home for the last three games. So uh, a lot to get to. going to try to put out two episodes this week, uh, two solo episodes just to kind of wrap up the season on my own and talk about some really important things as the Red Sox And a disappointing 2019 season to move on to 2020, which the work for 2020 has already began. It was a really unique, unique kind of weekend for us at Fenway Park, especially those of us on the beat. Started out Friday with John Henry, Tom Warner, and Sam Kennedy in a suite on the Dell Pavilion level, Uh, the rich people seats in those suites. Those guys were sitting in the suite and decided to have a private meeting with the media. Talked about everything from Dave Dombrowski's firing to payroll, a lot of takeaways from there saturday uh sunday meaningless games friday saturday sunday against the orioles red sox lose two out of three win on that walk off on sunday which felt eerily like the end of an era for a lot of the guys on this team that won the championship uh a year ago on monday breakdown day of sorts no clubhouse access because that i guess is usually a a useless type of thing when you get to talk to the players today after the season, but we did talk to Sam Kennedy again, the president and CEO of the Red Sox, manager Alex Cora, and then two of the four people who were running baseball operations, Eddie Romero and Brian O'Halloran, were on stage in the press conference room, and then Raquel Ferreira and Zach Scott were both available for one-on-one interviews after, as as were everybody else in the room. So a lot of access, a lot of questions, a lot of transcription, a lot of at least a uh, early answers as to what to expect from the Red Sox. So, the theme of this one's easy. It'll be kind of the 10 takeaways that I personally being there for all of that took away from those meetings with, you know, the big decision makers who will be shaping the future of this organization. Number 1, for me, was obviously their their big proclamation on Friday that they would be cutting payroll. John Henry said, we are going to get under the $208 million threshold. That would help reset their standing in the competitive balance tax threshold. As you know, the Red Sox have been over as the highest payroll in baseball the last couple of years. They've blown past what basically is the soft salary cap and the luxury tax threshold in each of the last two years. Because of that, they've been taxed. They have had to pay an overage tax, and they lost 10 spots in their draft pick uh, earlier this year which you know obviously cost you there's a lot of value and a lot of you know monetary value in the slot for that draft pick and obviously the value in terms of talent they didn't pick uh, until uh, into the second round this year in the draft and um they want to avoid doing that again if they th- those types of things are, are based on going over for the second or third year in a row so if they reset you know they they're back to basically uh, ground zero and, and they can they can go over it next year without that Stiff penalty. John Henry said that we want to get back and we want to reset. We want to get it under 208 million. And then started the backtrack of all backtracks that we saw from Tom Warner immediately, from John Henry immediately once he realized what he said, and from Sam Kennedy and the front office executives at Fenway on Monday. I think it was just a you know this line it's a goal not a mandate it's a goal not a mandate that we get under 208 million and made it clear that if there's something that fits this roster and they see you know the perfect situation they're willing to go over 208 but i wouldn't say that's in any way shape or form likely and that means big changes are coming to the red sox roster so a lot of payroll coming off as we know rick porcello brock holt mitch Marland are free agents pablo sandoval's deals off the book, some other guys probably a couple of guys in sandy leone Stephen wright maybe heath hembry who will be non Tendered a bunch of trade candidates, obviously the big fish, Mookie Betts. We'll see what happens with JD Martinez. We'll get to all those roster changes later, but the big point here is that the Red Sox payroll is coming down. And that's what happens, you know, even in small markets. Kansas City wins a World Series with a controllable young core. A couple years later, a lot of those guys depart in free agency. We saw Hosmer go to the Padres and Lorenzo Cain go to the Brewers, and that's just kind of what happens. And and the Red Sox, even in what has been the biggest market in baseball for the last couple years in terms of payroll, uh, are going to have to deal with some of that and cut payroll as a result. Number two is a really interesting comment. I feel like John Henry, in the rare times he does meet with us, we'll get to some, that topic later, but in the rare times he does meet with us, he's very candid, and we appreciate that, and he's he's pretty good at, at kind of being honest. And uh, what happened in, in that sweep was he said, uh, the relationship with with Dave Dombrowski wasn't something that you know began deteriorating in the last couple of weeks before his firing it wasn't fully based on the team's performance obviously that played a huge role but he said right after the world series last year he started seeing that there was a significant difference in opinion on how he viewed the future of the organization how Dombrowski viewed the future of the organization and based on that that kind of there was a there was a, an issue then um, and then it continued I guess throughout the entire season really interestingly John Henry said During the World Series parade, or shortly there before, last year at Fenway Park, one of the priorities for the Red Sox this year would be to get Dave Dombrowski an extension as his contract was close to expiring. Dave wouldn't get into that, but Henry said repeatedly, right after they won the World Series at Dodger Stadium, and again at Fenway a few days later, that that was a serious priority for the Red Sox. That never happened, uh, right after you know those comments from Henry, this is kind of an interesting part, right after those comments, I guess he started seeing uh, there weren't aligning on their views for the future, and uh, even though he said something in spring training about wanting an extension for Dombrowski, um, you know, I guess the, the reading the tea leaves back then, the signs were there that this could be a relationship that comes to an end. John Henry has known David Dombrowski for a long time, dating back to the Marlins organization in the 90s. The two of them, um, you know, remained friends and and were working together throughout the year, but at the end, uh, it just was a relationship that wasn't working out anymore, and the Red Sox made the decision to move on from him, obviously, earlier this month, which we've talked on on this show and and in print about a ton uh, more than you can imagine already, and we will continue to. That brings us to point number three, which is that, the new general manager, president of baseball operations of the Boston Red Sox will likely come from outside the organization. The Red Sox have loved promoting from within or getting someone who has been in the family um, before. We've seen this time and time again. Theo Epstein took over as the first full-time general manager under this ownership when he left the first time before the guerrilla suit back in 2006, I believe, or 2005. I was 10, so you, there's no No hate on me for for not knowing exactly what year, but um, Ben Charrington and Jed Hoyer both stepped up and were the interim GMs in that moment, the assistant GMs. Once Theo came back, they returned to their assistant roles. When Theo left for good in 2011 to go to the Cubs, I know I got that year right, he took Jed Hoyer with him, and Ben Charrington became the... GM of the Red Sox wants Charrington uh, was there for a couple of years. Then they made the inter- the surprising move to go with Dave Dombrowski from outside of the organization. In terms of managers, we've seen the Red Sox you know go external with Bobby Valentine, bring back someone from the family and John Farrell, and then obviously Alex Cora played in Boston um, and he's familiar with the market. But this time, it seems like the Red Sox want a fresh face, someone new. And the other takeaway from John Henry is that they're aiming for the big fish. We've seen the big names mentioned, Andrew Friedman, Jeff Luno, Theo Epstein. I don't think he's walking through that door, but the, they're targeting the big fish. And they said, "You know, look, this this search might be difficult because you don't usually see teams poaching number one heads of baseball operations department from other teams um, in the middle of a contract. It just doesn't happen. The Red Sox are going to try that. They'll probably be denied permission at that point they might look look at. Maybe another number two from another organization. Jed Hoyer would seem to be a fit if they're going that route. A couple guys, obviously, in Arizona under Mike Hazen, who's not coming. Amiel Sade and Jared Porter are two guys that could step in. So um, there seem to be Kind of putting to bed the idea that Eddie Romero or Brian O'Halloran or one of these guys from within will be promoted. And at this point, I think that is, uh, it looks like they're going to start requesting permission on interviews and getting some guys and maybe some women in here very, very soon. Another point to take away, I think this is point number four. Their media message still over there at 4 Jersey Street is very unclear. It was kind of an awkward they don't usually do that type of year-end press conference from ownership, from from what people have said, um, but instead of doing it right after Dombrowski was fired, they waited, they got, took a lot of backlash, and then there was this surprising announcement that John Henry and Tom Werner are going to be available in that suite, in that informal setting, uh, on a Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock, and then, once we got there, no TV cameras were supposed to be let in, a last-minute decision that Warner would go on camera uh, was made, and that happened, so... Um, It seems, at an ownership level, some disagreements on how things should be handled. John Henry was asked point blank, why didn't you just meet with us then? Get it out of the way if we're going to ask you the same questions now. And he kind of deflected the question and um, stuck to the company line that we didn't think it would be that useful. But in our end, it was useful. We got a lot of storylines and a lot of ideas about what the Red Sox are going to do in the future, meeting with them on Friday. Creativity, and this is point number five will be very, very key and very instrumental as the Red Sox move forward. The Red Sox, for better or for worse, have backed themselves into a corner financially with how they've developed this team in the last few years. These extensions are, or these contracts are easy to criticize now. David Price is being overpaid probably in the next few years. Chris Sale, we saw what he dealt with in terms of the shoulder in 2018, the elbow in 2019. And then Nathan Evaldi missing most of the year and being very inconsistent when he was out there. The Red Sox have a ton of money sunk into three-fifths of their starting rotation. They have an open spot with Rick Porcello departing, and then a spot that looks suddenly like a bit of a saving grace with Eduardo Rodriguez, who put it all together this year and fell just short of his 20th win. Those three starters, you know, mixed with Mookie Betts being due for a big arbitration raise and if J.D. Martinez opts in, you know, what he's going to make over the next few years and potential extension for Devers, or potential extension for Rodriguez, which are both on the table, um, and but what Bogarts is going to make, even though that's probably an underpay, you add all that up, Red Sox don't have a lot of room to work with creativity is going to be key, whether they can attach a long contract to a really good player and a creative deal, whether they sign someone to a type of contract that helps them. um, They're going to just really assess everything moving forward through this winter. It's going to be a very busy winter for the Red Sox. Whoever's running it is going to be extremely, extremely active because there are a lot of moves to be made. And it's clear that the Red Sox plan to do this by employing every option, one of those creative, one of those aspects of the creativity will be coming with J.D. Martinez's opt-out. He has until five days after the World Series to make his decision. We'll get to that a little bit later. But asking Eddie Romero, who I think is is uh, maybe the leader of, of the, the gang of four, as they're called, and, and people's choice if there's going to be an internal option to replace David Dombrowski, uh, who a lot of people thought, he said that the Red Sox are going to explore every avenue and, and they're going to look at every option on the table when it comes to taking or working with J.D. Martinez on this opt-out. Obviously, it's J.D.'s choice. That's what was in his contract. But the Red Sox may look on renegotiating things. We read about that on MassLive.com the other day. And it's obviously one of the first things the Red Sox are going to have to address this year. There's no answer yet on J.D. Martinez to bring us to another point. Because he has not really made up his mind. Talking to him on Sunday after the game, it seemed like he is very open to coming back and he's very open to going elsewhere. He told Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe that he was. He kind of liked bouncing around and and playing in different cities. He's obviously played for four major league teams now, the Astros in a state that didn't end so well, the Tigers where he really made his mark, the Diamondbacks where he was a rental, and now the Red Sox for two years where he won the World Series. He says he doesn't mind moving around, but he also really likes Boston. He likes his teammates, his coaching staff. He likes the city, everything that comes with it. JD I think in terms of a guy in terms of what he prioritizes he's obviously you know going to like the money he feels like he has earned it and JD's a guy who has a chip on his shoulder because of you know the way that he came up how he was released by the Astros you know I don't think he'll ever fully be over uh, you know despite his belief in himself and his belief in his process the fact that the Astros um, released him in spring training I think that that is something that he's always going to carry with him and because of that he's going to be a guy who's going to be looking at you know, I need to extract maximum value. I need to get what I deserve. We saw him hold out two years ago into late February until he finally got a deal that he thought was suitable for the Red Sox. Five years, $110 million with three opt-outs. The first of those opt-outs coming into play. He said Sunday that he's going to talk with Scott Boris, who's really led handling the business aspect of everything. Um, in terms of what he's looking for, it'll be the money. And obviously, uh, he's a guy that doesn't seem to care where he is his process is going to stay the same in terms of studying pitchers working on hitting doesn't seem like you know the big nightlife type goes home studies gets ready for the next day and just rakes and um, it comes down to whether his market is going to be limited basically to just American League teams viewing him as a designated hitter or a team in the National League that views him as a potential outfield option we saw JD this year whenever he played the outfield seemed like the back tightened up a little bit he was out for a couple days and we saw that happen just You know, two or three times in spring training even, and then three or four times uh, throughout the regular season, and he'd miss full series because of what was going on with his back tightness. So the Red Sox were worried about the foot when they originally signed him. That hasn't been an issue, but this back thing has sprouted up over the last couple years, and obviously as players get older, these types of minor injuries become less and less minor, so that's something to monitor over the winter if teams really, if he does opt out, if National League teams will be interested or not. J.D. Martinez will make up his own mind that's coming in a couple weeks, but, and this might be the biggest takeaway of all from what we heard from the owners and, the, and Sam Kennedy and everything Sam Kennedy saying the other day, I think there is a way for Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez to be on this roster next year, but it's going to be very challenging and very difficult, and that's the harsh reality for these Red Sox as they kind of look toward 2020, where J.D. Martinez will be making $23.75 million Mookie Betts will be due a raise to probably 28 to 30 million after making 20 this year in his second year of arbitration. The Red Sox, in an effort to keep Mookie Betts happy before having to go to uh, extension, before trying to sign him as a free agent, which it seems like he's destined to hit free agency, uh, might really want to overpay him. And, and if J.D. Martinez stays, that's a lot harder. So it's going to be a challenging, difficult. Not easy, any way you could put it, situation for the Red Sox to put their two best sluggers back in this lineup, and I think, if you think about the Red Sox offensively, they have maybe the best top four of anybody in baseball, I know there's a lot of good teams, and you're going to see them on TV in the next few weeks if you're watching October baseball, but when you have, you know, as your top four hitters, I know they, they weren't necessarily always in this order, but sometimes, of Mookie, Devers, JD, Bogarts, and, and have some complimentary pieces with a lot of talent, we saw Ben Vasquez, guys like that, um, it's a, it's a top four that you know, is almost unbeatable in terms of talent. It looks like that's going to be broken up this year, even though Devers and Bogarts are both here for the long term. No answer on JD. The Red Sox do not yet have an answer on Mookie Betts, and I believe that is point number eight of the ten big takeaways from the weekend. Mookie Betts, is continually said, in a very businesslike, serious tone, he doesn't owe the Red Sox a hometown discount. It's a business. He's going to extract you know, as much as he can out of his talents, much like J.D. Martinez. And because of that, he's going to take uh, all the emotion out of it. He's going to look at the numbers and get what he deserves on the free agent market. It's a very interesting shift in tone from what we've seen from a lot of guys over the years. A lot of guys we saw Xander Bogart and Chris Sale say, hey, I really love it here. Xander as a guy who felt he owed something to the organization for taking a chance on him and raising him up. Chris Sale coming off a world series after, you know, never pitching in the playoffs with the White Sox saying you know, I feel like I owe it to these guys to, to try to negotiate a team-friendly deal. And these aren't super bargains. I mean, these guys are still getting $120 million or $145 million in sales case, but um, still probably a little bit below what they'd get in free agency just to get that security and give the Red Sox, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of um, a bonus for, for doing what they have for these players in the past. We've seen guys like John Lester say he wanted to, obviously they lowballed the hell out of him, but that he wanted to come back or, or guys like Rafael Devers and Eduardo Rodriguez are saying, yeah, I'd definitely be open to an extension. The tone, at least for the last calendar year on Mookie Betts, has not been that at all. It's it's a business. Contracts are tough to deal with. We'll see what happens. It is what it is. All that kind of stuff. He turned down at least one extension from the Red Sox at one point, one that he thought was below market value, and so he seems like he's slated to test free agency. To their credit, the guys who are making these decisions, Sam Kennedy, Eddie Romero, both said on Monday that they are not frustrated by the way Mookie's handled this. If I were the Red Sox, I would be a little bit. Because um, he is, you know, playing his cards as straight up as possible. He is not giving in. He is not interested in bending at all. And because of that, you know, he's being really tough to negotiate with. He has his number, and he's willing to go to free agency. He's not afraid of free agency at all. Eddie Romero, Sam Kennedy, both said they're not frustrated by it. They respect it. They think you know it's really good for players' rights if these kind of things happen. Uh, so to their credit, they're being you know really open-minded about the future with Mookie Betts. Everybody believes that Mookie loves it in Boston. That he loves the Boston Red Sox. And we'll see over the next calendar year because we're approaching about 365 days until he actually does hit free agency. Finally, if that uh, love for the Red Sox will come into play, all indications are that it won't unless the money. Matches what he wants. So at that po- at this point, an extension still exceedingly unlikely for Mookie Betts, but J.D. Martinez opting out uh, would clear the path a little bit. Something else we took away, and this is almost the last, second to last point I will make uh, on this uh, this diatribe of mine. I think. You know, I don't think a lot of people knew anything about the assistant general managers when the press release came out that Dave Dombrowski was fired and that these four relative no-names and Eddie Romero, Brian O'Halloran, Raquel Ferreira, and Zach Scott were taking over the, the baseball operations department, I mean, these are people who are behind the scenes, even those of us on the beat were talking about how, yeah, we've seen Eddie around, he's been on some road trips, and, and Raquel, we know who she is, because she's kind of around a lot, but never publicly, but we didn't even know what Brian O'Halloran and Zach Scott looked like, you know, a few different people, and, and that might be a case if they've been around for 15 years, and, I, you know, a couple of us have only been around for two or three, but, um, you know, seeing them in a press conference role, seeing them in these public-facing roles, they all kind of admitted, this is really new to me, and Something that I never had to do previously, but we're all embracing it, and, and there's no uh, power hunger going on. Everyone's working together really well. Another, my big takeaway is that these people seem really capable. You know, I think I came away impressed with both Romero and Halloran at the press conference where Cal Ferreira is one of the you know best executives in the game from what everybody has said about her, uh, and she's been an, a huge part of what the Red Sox have done since she's been in town. Obviously, Xander Bogart's. Extension would not have gotten done without her. Everybody's been on the record about that. Um, she's kind of embraced a, a family member role to a lot of these young players coming up and, and taking on, you know, a bigger role in terms of negotiations. She's close with Mookie Betts. We'll see if anything comes of that. But a really impressive showing that from those four, they are going to be capable and they are going to be very active. The Red Sox front office, as it's currently constituted, without that baseball operations head, without Dave Dombrowski, without Frank Wren, who was let go, is going to be active very early on. They're going to be looking to, to make decisions. They already, as we saw, have made a couple of them. The internal scouting department, the way that that was uh, organized, has been shifted around. Mike Rickard, who ran amateur scouting, received a promotion. Uh, a couple of younger guys in the front office got promotions to bigger roles. So they're taking it upon themselves. They say, well, while we're here, let's establish the structure of this. And, and whoever comes in and inherits this will have you know a different structure than David Dombrowski had already. So they're making their stamp. They're putting their stamp on it. A lot of people thought that that move would be make it more likely that someone like Eddie Romero steps into that full-time job, but that doesn't seem to be happening. It seems like they're just trying to make the most of their time in power, and they're admitting, you know, we know someone's going to come in. We know someone's going to be running the show, and we'll go back to business as usual. But for now, we know what we're doing. We're not power-hungry. We get along really well. And it was really impressive to hear all that uh, the other day, and it seemed very genuine from Brian O'Halloran, Eddie Romero, Raquel Ferreira, and Zach Scott. The big takeaway, number 10, and I wrote a column about this on Friday night, is that major changes are coming to the Boston Red Sox. It would have been unthinkable a year ago, but huge franchise-altering changes are coming. And it's going to be to the point where Dave Dombrowski's firing and this new president of baseball operations, or GM, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think that's just kind of the first thing that we're going to see in the next couple months, for next month or so. We'll see that person come in. You know, there's only a few pillars, and a couple people have written about the pillars the Red Sox can rely on. That'll be sticking around for um, you know this new chapter. Alex Corr will obviously be there. Mookie Betts may not. J.D. Martinez may not. Jackie Bradley may not. Um, Bogarts, Devers, the guys who are in the front office, Sam Kennedy, Alex Corr, those are kind of the pillars the Red Sox can rely on. And moving forward, things are going to look a lot different. We've seen, you know, even the Red Sox after you know having the best offense in baseball by far in 2018 and one of the very best in baseball, top five in almost every category you could imagine in offense. They fired their assistant hitting coach yesterday, Andy Barquette, the first of what could be a few staff changes. The fates of Daniel Evangie, bullpen coach Craig bjornson are unknown at this point as of this recording. There could be more changes coming. It seems like Alex Cora wants... Another batting cage. She wants improvements in in you know the clubhouse of Fenway Park, improvements in dining for the players, just things like that. And then obviously, you know, some macro changes as well to the roster as we see, you know, the formulation of these free agents, like I mentioned, Porcello, Holt, Moreland, Pierce, those guys are probably all more than likely to leave than come back. Though I could see Holt coming back, maybe Porcello on a cheap deal. Martinez is opt out, Betts trade candidate, Bradley Jr trade candidate, Devers extension, Rodriguez extension, there's going to be a lot of moves. I think coming off the World Series hangover, or whatever you want to call it, a year ago, the Red Sox were really slow in the offseason. We just saw a few little moves. Only one player was added to the 40-man roster in Colton Brewer from the Padres. Nathan Evaldi was re-signed. Steve Pierce was re-signed. The coaching staff was intact. The front office was completely intact. And it was easy once we got to Fort Myers. There was no new names to learn this year. I expect it to be completely different. There's going to be a lot of new players who cost significantly less in the pockets of John Henry and Tom Warner. Um, as they said on Friday, it's a goal. It's not a mandate. But for all for all the, everybody knows, it's probably as much of a mandate as it can be. So I know that's a lot of information. It's a lot of information that came out of Fenway Park this week uh, as the season comes to an end. But big change is coming to Fenway Park. Big change is coming to the Red Sox. You'll be able to follow along with all of that stuff on MassLive.com and here at the Red Sox Beat Podcast. We'll be back probably later this week with a look at where the Red Sox should start this offseason and their plan for the winter, and then get back into our regularly scheduled programming once a week, giving you the latest updates on what's going on with the Boston Red Sox. Thanks.